Profit Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest edition, you can head straight to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Simply type your details in and we'd be delighted to send you a free copy of the latest issue of the magazine. But today on The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio, I'm speaking to Gary Clark. Gary is the lead pastor of Hillsong Church London, a church which not only exists in the heart of the capital, but in Surrey, Kent, Oxford and Newcastle and elsewhere, which we'll go on to talk about as well. And uh, Gary wants people to gain a genuine revelation of the message of Jesus and his church. He's passionate about seeing people live to their fullest potential, empowering them to practically reach and impact their day-to-day world. He's also interested in providing real solutions to some of the problems humanity faces, from youth issues in London to the worst of world poverty. Gary is married to Kathy, and together with their daughter and son, they are living here in London. And I'm delighted to say that Gary has dropped into the studio today to chat to us. So Gary, welcome to the programme. Thank you. Good to be here. We always like to go back to the beginning on this show and, and ask about someone's life growing up. So I'm sure, as we can already tell from the accent, it wasn't, it wasn't here in the UK, it was in Australia. Tell me more uh, about growing up. It wasn't a Christian family, was it? No, it's not a Christian. I don't have a Christian background. The only, uh, um, only thing I can remember from when it comes to Christianity is my, my father, who actually is from Manchester. And um, he said to me once, he said, don't ever let anybody tell you that God's not real. That was it. That was my uh, that was my perspective on God. A few little um, encounters at uh, at school with the RE teacher, and um, and that's that's all I. Yeah. That, that that was it. And I found out later that he he had a, he had a Catholic yeah. background, and so don't know what that means. But so that was it. God's not. Don't let anyone tell you God's not real. That's probably still still the thing I live by. <laughs> don't let anyone tell you God's not real. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not a bad starting point, but probably not the not the end point either. So what? I guess you've never been an atheist in that sense. You've always believed that there was a God, but you didn't perhaps know who Jesus was. I've always, um, and I think that I've always in my heart known that there's a God. Uh, I haven't always been as a kid. I wasn't seeking after God. I wasn't looking for God or in the, in that context, but I think just that maybe that thought where that my father I can't remember when he said it. I just know he said it, and so I've all, I can remember even when I started my apprenticeship as a seventeen year old in the lunchroom, arguing with the atheist co- work colleagues. So you, you're crazy. You, how can you say there is no God? That was <laughs> that was. So I used to argue the case of God uh, as an unbeliever to unbelievers wow. before I was a believer. Wow. And what was the thing that changed you from? A unbeliever who believed in God to a believer who believes in God. Um, well, you know, growing up, you know, you have little, you have little encounters through life. I, I can always remember at school as a teenager. Um, you know, I, would, I was sort of one of those teenagers that, um, you know, you probably use the term lived on the wild side of everything possible, and. Um, I can remember there was Christians. I lived in was was in my teenage years. We were in a in a town that had two thousand people in it. Now, that's anyone's nightmare at best. But 
So there's 2,000 people, and there was three groups of people, the Baptists, the Catholics, and the rest of us. And the rest of us were at the mercy of the Baptists and the Catholics. And But I can remember seeing some of these people who I knew were Christians, mm. and they fascinated me because they were different. Mm. I couldn't put my finger on why they were different. I couldn't put my finger on what was different. I just knew they were different. So I was, I, I was aware that this there, there's something to it as a teenager. It made no bearing on how I lived my life, what I was pursuing in life, any of that. Um, and then, you know, fast forward probably into my early early 20s, I, I, came, I used to ride horses as a... Yeah, I started, hear you're a jockey. Well, I was, wasn't a jockey. I was a... Um, I started out as a as a keen kid riding horses in competitive riding. Um, I was lucky enough to get a really good horse that taught me how to do well, and then I went from that turned it into a basically turned it into a profession, and sort of had my competitive goals that I was chasing after, and in equestrian sports. And so I, I can remember as I when I was. I said to my mother, I'd, I'd finished my apprenticeship, and I said, um, I'm going to go on a one-year trip around Australia, to, um, and then I'm going to come back, apply myself to my pursuit of my um, my endeavour with horse yeah, riding. Like a gap year kind of thing? Well, it was a, was a gap. I, I didn't know that, but in English terms, yes, a gap yeah. year, yeah. And, uh, and I said, I'll be home in a year, and I haven't been back since. Oh, wow. I've visited home, but I've, I've left home... At the, uh, I think I was at uh, 22, and I've um, 22 had, years old. Where did you, where did you go? I moved to, well, I was travelling around Australia, and I got to a place called the Gold Coast Service Paradise, and there was, uh, I encountered some some people who were studying a particular type of horse riding, that um, that interested me, and I thought oh, maybe I'll spend some of my break working here and mm. see what I can learn, and so I found myself living on the Gold Coast in Queensland. And that's when I, um, I, you know, I probably went even wilder than I was in my teenage years. In what way? Well, I just, you know, life's to be lived. That was my philosophy uh, to a degree. But it was interesting how I always had, I had something that I was pursuing, which was my horse riding career, which always kept constraint. So I was, I'd, I'd dabble, but I would never go, mm. I'd never go too far because I knew it would ruin my horse riding career. Right. So, so, and I, you know, even now when you've got something that, you're living for and it just constrains you it's a it's a healthy place to live from mm. and um and so uh, i uh, i can remember encountering with some of my friends there's a, a place in the gold coast called cavill avenue i don't even know if it exists anymore but that's where crazy street preachers used to street preach and um the, strangely enough the street preachers were um some of the kids well they were kids then that ended up becoming the newsboys Oh really? And uh, and so they were preaching on the streets, and I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. Then somehow the crew that I was hanging out with, we ended up in their father's church one Sunday, one Sunday evening, and we were the sort of um, weird ones sitting down the back of any good church. Has always got weird ones who sit down the back, <laughs> and uh, and so from that, and even then, I fa- I found them fascinating. Mm. I found. I just I just looked. I thought there's something very yeah. fascinating about you people, and that's how I used to term it, you people. And somehow, with our group, we ended up being invited by them to a Kenneth Copeland 
I don't know what it was called. It was I just got invited to the Brisbane Town Hall, and a guy called Kenneth Copeland was speaking. And uh, we got there late, had to sit on um, sit on the stage because there was no room. Um, which look now as a pastor, looking back and thinking, it must look to all of the the Christians, it must look <laughs> like, what are this lot. Yeah. And um, but anyway, I can remember just looking at Kenneth Copeland and thinking there is something about you. Hmm. I have not a, got a clue what he talked about. Mm-hmm. All I knew was I sat there and I knew that as he was talking, what he talked about resounded as truth. Mm-hmm. And there was something about him to look at that I just went, this is, this is, this is real. And then uh, at the end of it, um, the, he did the usual thing. If you want Jesus put your hand up and we can pray a prayer. And I thought, well, I want what you've got and put my hand up. Um, and uh, that was... Yeah, that, that was it. That, oh, no. That, well, it was it. that was it. And then they did the thing where they call you down the back and they talk to you as a new Christian. They say, you know, the next thing is you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and then it was like, do you want to do that? And I thought, oh, okay, I'll do that too. And, um, and then I... I then I walked out. That was it. I can remember about a week later I was at work and I got a call down to reception and the receptionist said, there's some people here wanting to talk to you. And these two strange ladies were at the front gate. And I said, who are you? They said, oh, we're, we're just following you up from the Kenneth Copeland meeting. And I sort of went, I don't even know what following up is, and I'm not sure who Kenneth Copeland is. Um, I'm okay. See you. Yeah. And that was it. That was my that was my encounter with um, that was my encounter with Christianity. And they were doing follow up properly. I mean, sometimes yeah, they, they sometimes yeah. these events you don't get any follow up, but yeah, they did their best, I was and like, you, you shoved them off. I, yeah, I just I was like, oh, I don't know what you're on about. I don't know. What, I, yes, yes, I. But I'm okay. That yeah. was my you. you yeah. You, you, people are crazy. Like that was, you know, because I had no understanding yeah. at church. I guess, I guess you just thought, well, I prayed a prayer. I'm a, I'm a Christian now and, and that's well, it. Or? Well, I didn't really even, look back. I didn't even know I was a Christian. Right. Like I was completely raw. And I think, you know, and I think for me in our church even today, I've always got me in mind mm. turning up to our church. Yeah. Uh, I had no, no concept of church, no concept of what it meant to be a Christian. No concept whatsoever. And so then I found myself, this was then two years later, um, I uh, had this wild encounter with, um, with a girl. Not, not that type of wild, but um, <laughs> I, was, I was in a, a party in Brisbane and it was one of those sort of parties where all the really cool uh, young guys with lots of money were there and all the really glamorous girls who were obviously there to find a, a good man. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I might have been one of the guys, but I had no money, so I wasn't a good catch. So I was talking to one of the girls who was there, and she starts talking to me, and you know, I sort of had a smart mouth back then as well. And I just looked, and I said, you know, there's one thing you and I got in common in this party. And she said, what's that? She, and I said, we've both got no money. And she just laughed. She said, yeah, it's that sort of party, isn't it? <laughs> so then we struck up a friendship in, on that night, so I start telling her about everything I'd learnt about Christianity from all these crazy people I'd met and this, what I now know as a Kenneth Copeland mm-hmm. message, crusade. 
So I start telling her, oh, I got right into the mark of the beast, and I, I got really? I got into it. I'm oh, wow. I'm full on witnessing to this girl, and I've got no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but what was wild was as she walked out and said, "God, if everything that guy said to me is real, prove it to me." And so we, you know, we swapped numbers at the end of the night and said, "Let's you know catch up next week." So over the phone and she rang me up and she said, Oh, do you want to go out for a drink? So we just went to a pub for a drink and she said, you're not going to believe this. Everything that you told me in that party, which was quite bizarre, really. Yeah. Um, she said, it, she was, turns out she was a hairdresser. Every new client happened to be a Christian who was telling her some sort of version of what I'd talked to her about. And she, and we both looked at each other and said, well, that's bizarre, isn't yeah. it? Had a drink and went home. Um, <laughs> And then a week later, she rang me up and she said, you're not going to believe this. Another person come in saying the same thing as what you told me and all those other people. And she's invited me to church. And I said, oh, can I come? So I went with her when she got invited to church. I knew at the end you had to put your hand up. <laughs> I, um, so I just have no, I got the guys talked about. It. I just knew at the end your hand had to go up <laughs> to say you wanted to be one of them. Yeah. And I put my hand up and I've been going to church ever since. From that was that day of never. That's that was the start of. Well, I look at that as I had an encounter with God, and then I had yeah. that. I had that work it out, and um, so that's why I'm very, I'm very, you know, I find myself later as I filtered through my own life. We've got to give people a chance to work this out. Um, you grow up in a Christian household. You grow up with a Christian perspective, and and um, and we often people get dismissed. Whereas, whereas God is at work in a, and I, I look back in those two years and I can see, I can see God at work in my life. Nothing about my lifestyle changed, nothing whatsoever. But when I walked in that second time, I knew what I was doing, and my whole life just turned one eighty degree hmm. and uh, gone from there. It's really interesting what you've already said about kind of the language that we use and so often i think as christians we we use these words that as you say they mean nothing to a, an outsider and this this was your story right of going yeah. into church and some of the language not making sense and i guess this encapsulates a lot of what hillsong does today and what do you what do you think though about the word relevant because sometimes people will say oh well you know stop trying to be culturally relevant you've got to just preach what the bible says but, but it seems like the kind of thing you're getting at is relevancy in terms of making it understandable well, to people. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, my, my, my endeavor or my heart is, um, my desire, whatever you want to, is probably rather than relevant, I think, is, 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 is being contemporary, which means, you know, lots of people, I guess, have different words for meaning for contemporary. But if you look it up, it just means something that is relevant to the time and place that it exists. And so, um, so I, I just think the the way we speak and the, the style of the way we do things um, has got to be contemporary. But I'm a, I'm very much a stickler for the but the message mm. is eternal. Right, the and, message is ancient as well, right? Well, yeah, but and it's eter eternal. The message, and I think I'm I you know I tr try to make sure that it's not the message we mess with. But we, the methods, mm. we've got license with yes. the methods. Yeah. And in the sense of how do we bring the message to people? How do we, um, even the message, we don't have to use ancient words mm. and we don't have to use traditional words and we don't have to use 
language that we would never use in the workplace, but we talk it all day on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's weird. Yeah. Um, and I think it's trying to put it into a language that is contemporary. Mm-hmm. But the message is is not to be yeah. not to be played with. So tell me about your first encounter with Hillsong. Um, my my first encounter with Hillsong was um, this was before we were even Hillsong. We used to be called Hills Christian Life Center. So this is right back at the beginning. Yeah. So Hills Christian Life Center. Um, and uh, I used to be I, when I moved to Sydney, I got um, I started youth pastoring, and then when I um, and from that, because I was a was a youth youth pastor in in Sydney and a reasonably significant youth group, and so you get to know the other churches. And I become aware of Brian. I become aware of the the team there. And so, doing what you do, you you're always aware of others, and um, they do things. You go to things, and so I got to know them that way. Um, but I found myself because I used to still give horse riding lessons and training. And I found myself um, telling people about Jesus as I'm giving them lessons when they asked. But I was sending them to Hills as a good church to go to, not the church that I was pastoring in. Right. And I thought, I've got a discrepancy here. Yeah. I'm sending people to another church when I'm pastoring in. Mm, Um, I was a youth pastor in this church, but I'm sending adults to another church. And I thought, all right, there's something... There's something odd here. Yeah. And so just through a, a number of just different events, I, um, I quit ministry for, um, for two years, or I guess two years. I went back to my horse riding career and went and joined Hills. I thought if I'm, if I'm going mm-hmm. to leave ministry, I'm still a Christian. I still yeah. want to go to a church. So I'm going to go to a church that I'd yeah. – well, I'm going to go to church I'm sending my friends to. So, mm. so I joined Hillsong and just said, okay, God. Um, if you've what called you, me, we'll what, see what where What do you it goes. think the reason was why you were sending people there and not your own? Um, because it wasn't locked in yesterday. It wasn't lost, locked in. A, um, um, the, it wasn't locked in this very iso- this bubble. Uh, I think one of our biggest challenges with as, as Christians is we love to create bubbles. We love to live in bubbles. And then work out how to throw rocks out from our bubbles to everybody outside our bubbles, mm-hmm. and um, and so I, I think that it was just to me it was like you, you this is crazy you, yeah. you you're following a you, you keep talking about everything that happened thirty years ago yeah. or twenty years ago you're talking about nothing that's happening now you won't brace anything that is towards the future. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I'm just not that type yeah. of person. So you uh, you gave up ministry, went back to the horse riding, uh, and then presumably entered ministry at Hills, Hillsong or, or Hills at that point. Well, yeah, I'd been, I think it was seven years, I think I'd been in ministry when I decided that um, that this, uh, I, I need to make mm. some changes. Um, and uh, so I went, went yeah, I, so I was seven years in it. And then when I went to, to Hills, I just made a des- decision to say, well, if I'm going to go back to horse riding for the rest of my life, so be it. Yeah. I'm a part of a church that I'd like sure. to be a part of. Yeah. I'll serve wherever I get a chance to serve mm-hmm. and just planted myself. So I've only ever really been to two churches my whole of my life mm. and um, and uh, just planted myself there and said, okay, if you've called me, God, if, yeah. you know, the term called into ministry, it's not 
terribly biblical statement, but we know what we mean when we say it. Um, the I just started from there. Just I got involved. Um, um, first thing I did was got involved in the bi- lecturing in Bible college, which um, I thought was really weird. But now that I know when I moved to here, my subjects was um, was I had the nature and character of God, hermeneutics um, and right. apologetics were my three subjects, and um, and leadership. Well, they were aside four subjects mm. I used to lecture. And then when I, I moved here, I, I thought I'd never counted so many people that knew nothing about the Bible in all my life or misquoted it. So it was, it was a good found God's preparation for I'd, um, actually I was the, um, so when, anyway, you get what I mean. So, <laughs> so you, you say you were, you were lecturing, this is in Australia in those yeah. subjects, but had you studied, the, it sounds like a bit of a jump. I mean, we haven't talked about you going to Bible college or did that happen earlier? <laughs> Well, you know, I'd, I'd been seven years in ministry. Right, so you learnt on the job effectively. Well, yeah, and if you, you know, if you're going to be good at, you know, you use the term "good at ministry," you know, yeah. that's a, you know, what does that? I mean? I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you've got to study, haven't you? Yeah. Now, have, have I got a, have I got a degree? No, I don't have a degree, but I didn't have a degree in horse riding either. But right, I've yeah. made a profession of it. Um, but I applied myself, mm. and so I applied myself in those seven years to what it meant to be in ministry and the Bible and and all of those things. And so stepping into, okay, here's the subjects mm. for Bible college. Now, you know, I had to do I had to do a lot of study, mm. I'll admit that. But it's amazing how um it's one thing to study, but it's another thing to have to actually lecture what it is that you're studying for so you've got to know what you've studied. Yeah. Uh, you can't lecture if you don't know what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, yeah. wow. So it was a great, so it was effectively a great training ground. Mm. So what came next after that? Um, I got involved in a um, one of the extent we called them extension services back then. That was in a um, was in a really tough part of Sydney, and Cathy uh, and myself we we served there for for two years. It was one day walking to the office down the what what we'd call here we'd call the high street we just called it i don't know what we called i kind of remember what we called it back then but it was <laughs> been equi- in the uk too long yeah really. <laughs> it was well yeah I'm, I'm actually yes i have um it's my home so but uh yeah it was the equivalent to the high street and i can remember i walked past the i walked past the first brothel on the high street and i looked across the road and there was a methadone clinic so you get this is a picture of the type of area and um i was walking past the next brothel and there's a syringe on the street because it was early in the morning, hadn't been cleaned up yet. And I looked at it and I went, God, nothing about my life is congruent. Everything that's ever been prophesied over my life, every dream I've ever had of what I wanted to do to serve you does not um, connect with where I am right now. But I can clearly remember saying, however, I'm happy because I'm serving you. And it was literally two weeks after that Brian called me into his office and uh, said to myself and Kathy, would you consider moving to London? And he gave us uh, eight hours to make the decision. So uh, That is a shorter time to make a decision than it would be for the flight over here. Yes, yeah. So By we went, some stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we went home and uh, woke up the next morning and I said to her, so what, um, what do you... Uh, what do you want to do? And she said, yeah, of course, let's go. 
we, we'll never know if we don't if we don't do it. I knew in my heart, as a horse rider and all of that, my goal was to live in this part of the world. Mm. I was always wanted to live in Europe. Mm-hmm. So this was like, and always you know held in my heart. I always wanted to. One day I believed I was going to pastor a church in London, believe it or not. Right, okay. So this so, has actually been in you for some time before Yeah, I've been in there came. four years. I'd visited London four years prior to being asked, and I felt like God spoke to my heart yeah. and said, you're going to pastor a church here. Yeah. So when I got asked, it was an easy yes, and um, that was the start of Hillsong Conference in Sydney. The, week, the Monday after Hillsong Conference finished, I was on a plane, and Kathy was over there in, I think, three weeks. She moved... Mm and the two yeah. kids over and so how many years has it been now of you living here oh uh, gosh if i get it right i think we're about to do our 19th year 19 yeah incredible so so hillsong church london has existed for at least that long yeah so it started hillsong church so when we were hills christian life center i think we were in we we're in london a year before we changed our name mm. to hillsong and yeah a lot of people not that wary aware really sure. why we called Hillsong that's I mean it's incredibly biblical name um and um but you know we we were just called Hills Christian Life Center and there was and we'd started from there a London Christian Life Center and um so London Christian Life Center had been going I think four years mm. and it had a it had a few um hit a bit of an impasse <laughs> And um, as a lot of churches do, and from that, um, from that, because there was some trouble in it, mm-hmm. I got um, I got asked to come across to to London to take over the um, the restart of right. our church. And so, how big was it when you came over? Um, that's up for debate. Up I think. Debate. <laughs> um, all I know is the Sunday after it was, I can remember Brian turned up to tell people that um, the old pastor's gone and the new pastor's sitting there on the front row. There right. he is. Yeah. He but got on a plane that Monday and left and left me to it. Wow. And all I know is there was, I think it was 110 people turned up the following Sunday. Right, okay. And, uh, and, uh, so it so, sounds like there'd been some pretty major upheaval before you arriving in terms of the leadership and the church. Yeah, there's a bit of a... I think the Sunday Brian was there, the joke was there was two groups of people on the pavement outside. So which church are you going to go to? The new one that's starting down the road, or right. are you going to stay at this one? Yeah, so it was sure. literally one of those. Is a church split effectively? Yeah, um, schism that resulted in a fresh start. Yeah, <laughs> and it's amazing though. You know, nineteen years on, I think you yeah. said um, we're now talking about not just Hillsong London, which meets in the Dominion Theatre in Central London. You've got Hillsong Bermondsey, which is obviously you know in in South London, but you, we've also talked about campuses in newcastle in kent in surrey this is a huge church yeah, north now. london now um we just started in edinburgh starting in liverpool and, and is hillsong um, edinburgh part of hillsong church london yep that's all part of wow. under, under our how did edinburgh feel about coming under the hillsong london banner well the good thing <laughs> about being being a foreigner is i don't really I don't buy into everybody's um <laughs> uh, conflicts of of national interest <laughs> You're listening to Premier Christian Radio this afternoon. It's The Profile with me, Sam Hales. I'm talking to Gary Clark, the senior pastor of Hillsong London. Lots more from him coming up right after this. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. What a beautiful name it is. You've heard the songs. Now discover the story of the church that changed the way the world worships. 
in the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine, we go behind the scenes of Hillsong. In the UK alone, they've grown from 110 members to 14,000. But not everybody is a fan. We chart the rise of this megachurch and put tough questions to their leaders, plus news, reviews and much more. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Good news, we've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio Welcome back to The Profile this afternoon here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm talking to Gary Clark, the senior pastor of Hillsong London. Lots more from him coming up. Just before we get there, a reminder that this show is brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine. That's Premier Christianity magazine. It's the publication that I edit and we have got a very special offer on for you right now. You can get a half price subscription to the magazine. That means 12 issues of the print magazine for only £19.40. That's a great offer. That's a whole year's worth of content of the UK's leading Christian magazine for less than £20. For less than £20, you also get entered into our prize draw to win £200 worth of Christian books, and you also get full online access to everything we're doing at premierchristianity.com. If you want to take advantage of this special offer, please go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. But now, time to hear the second part of my interview with Gary Clark from Hillsong, London. Let's listen in. We're talking about pretty incredible growth. You talked about having a vision for leading a church in London. Did you feel like God gave you a vision for, for the kind of growth that you've seen, or has it taken you by surprise? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, f- for me, you know, it's, everything's a step of faith. And... Uh, you know, if you if you're not env- envisaging something, something that takes you, you know, if I use the term, takes your breath away or causes you to question, then you're maybe not envisaging. So I always envisaged mm. something. You always had a big vision. Yeah, because I thought I'm not going to move from one side of the world to the other side of the world and think small. Yeah. Or believe small, or or dream small. Did I dream it would look like this? Well, you can't. I don't know if you can do that. But mm. but I certainly had a a belief that God was going to. There was a there was a a purpose to this. Mm. I certainly have had that belief mm. um, from day one that God was going to do something. Yeah. Nevertheless, yeah, you know, church leadership is is never easy. What's what's been the hardest thing about moving over here and uh, growing the church? Um. Gosh, I think that it might sound strange, but because um, everyone thinks that pastors are immune to it, I think that probably learning how to deal with the criticism. Mm. Um, I used to always say, you know, I, I don't care about criticism. That's why I don't listen to it. But then I realized I do care about criticism. That's why I don't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I think trying to wrestle that 
has has um has been the um has been a challenge because you you know whether people believe it or not you actually you don't throw away a career and you don't move a um you don't move we arrived here the only thing we had was was two children a two year old and a four year old we we had no money we started from flat from absolutely nothing and you don't do all of that to come and um be insincere do you mm. <laughs> um and so so you know our heart has always been to try and do our best yeah and be as authentic as we can possibly be yeah you mentioned um, criticism is uh, do you feel like there are common misconceptions not even about you personally but about hillsong about hillsong london are, are there some things that you kind of hear a lot you think actually that's a that's a misconception that people have of us and what we're about well, you know, the problem is that I don't listen to it anymore. So I don't even know what it is. I think <laughs> the hardest criticisms is, and that's when I come back to the, um, it's it's the people who who have enough proximity to come and and and, and put it put it before you and yeah. and and dealing with that um, the the generic criticisms and and all that. I'm you know I I don't want to sound like I don't know. I just the truth is I don't know. I, all I know is is um, We've got as many not fans as we have people who like us. You've got many locations, Surrey, Kent, Oxford, Newcastle. Um, but just from look at your website, it seems pretty obvious that uh, there's, there's more to come. So what are you thinking about in terms of next steps, the next places you want Hillsong London to be represented in the UK? Well, you know, we've been going, you know, if we, you said, you know, I've been here 19 years um, and... You know, the church started a few years before that, and which which means we're not a new church anymore. Mm. We're not the new kids on the block. Um, and I'm at this point, I'm very much in a place of um, what does, you know, I'm 58. What does the next 10, 15 years look like for not only for us as a church, but for me? I'm very mindful. I'm probably trying to work on a on a future that I'm not going to live in. Um, so I'm I'm actually in that zone right right now. Um, I I believe in my heart that God wants to, um, He wants to stir this nation towards Him, and uh, I believe in my heart that He that uh, that we're going to play a part in that. I I I know we're not the only people on the planet. We're not mm. the only church in the nation. All of that. We're not the only church in the city. Yeah. Um, all I know is, is um, we are going to play our part in believing that we're going to see this nation um, turn its heart towards God. Mm. Um, what that means, I, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, and so I'm very mindful of it. it's not when we're not. Although it looks like we plant churches, we we don't see ourselves as a church planting organization. But if you look at you know, I, I use the term global imprint very carefully. Um, it looks like we're a church planning organization, yeah. but we're, we really have this desire to try and as best we, we use the term, we're one house with many rooms. Right. Um, and that is our, our desire to be one church, but we're in just different locations. Um, so is it, I mean, we're playing with language slightly, but is this congregational plants rather than church plants? Probably. That would be a better, better, better way, way of thinking it. about yeah. it. It's, it's interesting you say you don't think of yourself as a as a church planting movement because I think a lot of people when they think of Hillsong, they look at Hillsong. It's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think if we were church planting organization, we would be planting churches 
all over the place mm. and we would declare ourselves to yeah to be that but um you know it's um you know i think the key regional cities where um where you can um you you can build a, build a good church mm. um there there's plenty of them in the in the UK mm. and we're just you know we're just toying we're just early days with you know there's Oxford and there's Birmingham now and Liverpool Newcastle and uh Edinburgh um we got to we got to build those before we start thinking about I always try and do do our best to say let's whatever we do we do it out of a place of strength mm-hmm. and when we do something not weaken what what is our strength mm-hmm. yeah and so um you know sort of go the slower you go the quicker you get there you mentioned you're not the only kids on the block so to speak and there are obviously churches in all those cities that you, you mentioned so how much of working with other churches or just even talking to other churches factors into this because again you know you'll talk to some some church leaders and and they will have a perception, of, rightly or wrongly, of Hillsong, of, oh, well, these guys turn up, they do church very well, it's very slick kind of production, and if they turn up in my city, some people in my congregation will go to them because they prefer the music, and there, there can sometimes be almost a bit of fear about that, I guess, from, from some church leaders. How much of this kind of factors into your thinking? Well, well, you know, I guess the... I think that the proofs, in if you start with, start with London... I think there's more people being saved and in other people's churches in London than in our church over the last 19 years. So um, if um, if we'd kept everyone that's in someone else's church in London in our church, I'd be really happy pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the reality is, is you know, and it, it's, it is one of the criticisms, and I, I can see why people say it, where it's like, you know, they'll just pull people from our church but that's not our heart yeah and there's almost um, nothing you can really do about that is there i mean if people choose to move to hillsong that's not necessarily your fault right no but i do understand i i'm, I'm I, I understand it um and so for example you know um i'm trying to think that the, liverpool's probably a little different because um it's like it's miles away from, from london but, but birmingham we're starting there, and there's connect groups, and there's all of that. And um, we've we started with people who who either travelled down to the Dominion or have moved to Birmingham from the Dominion. Right. And so it's not like we just turned up and it's like it's like we we actually started. I use the term started with people who considered themselves already a part already of a part of us. Yeah. And even you know when we say so we're going to start somewhere else, it's it's okay, you know. We started in North London, for example, and that was based on how many people have we got in North London who travel mm. down into the Dominion? How many people we got in North London who find coming to the Dominion difficult? Well, why don't we take church to them? Mm. So, um, so at this point, when it comes to that, tends to be the, the way of thinking. About the, it. My way of yeah. my way of thinking. But then, you know, you say, well, you know, you're in Liverpool. Well, that's 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 an out and out, as if it's a church plant. Mm. And like anybody else who, you know, I think we try and say um, everyone else is allowed to plant churches, so why aren't we? Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I was looking at the statistics on, on how you've grown the sort of Sunday congregation, and, and um, I was reading that, I think this is the Dominion, or this might be across some of your campuses, but the, the figure was that you're growing at a rate of 7% a year. 
in terms of the number of people turning up to a Sunday service. Now, you know, let's say that you're the you're the pastor of a church of 100 people and you may not have Hillsong budget, Hillsong personnel, but you want to grow your church and you think actually, you know, 7% a year, if that's if that's an accurate figure, that sounds pretty good to me. What kind of advice would you give pastors as, as someone, I mean, you know, you say that other people in, in London are converting far more people than you are, but, but you're also, you are growing congregations and we've talked a bit about the history. It's been pretty impressive growth. What are some yeah, of the well, tips well, I that you think, you know, the, the dominions are difficult how do you say, measuring stick? Because we've been at the Dominion now for, gosh, I don't know how long, 10, 12 years. And the Dominion historically, it sort of fills up and empties out a bit and fills up and empties out a bit. And so to measure our growth based on the Dominion is very difficult because it's right. it's full mm. and then it gets too full and then people go I don't want to come in here anymore because it's too full or whatever <laughs> so it's really difficult to measure the um that sort of growth that's interesting thing there um so it's almost as if some of the plants that we've talked about north london and are Bermondsey, overflows yeah. of the goal is, is as we start in other places around london is, is yes. how do we take that yeah um you know and you realize people you know it's people say they're going to leave their church and come to us people leave us too for the same reasons sure. we don't like them we're going there yeah um so there's a whole but so on, on the growth thing it's um it's difficult to you know quantify mm. our growth in that context mm. but when you talk about when pastors say so well how am i going to seven percent growth is good yeah, it's good, but it's not, I'm not quite sure what makes me happy. It's not revival, is it? I mean, it's... Well, well we're a long way off... Uh, 7% of a lot of people is still a lot of people, but in comparison to how many people don't know Christ, mm. um, we've got, we got a lot of work to do. That's, sure. that's all I'm trying to say. Um, without denying that what God's been doing is good. Yeah, but sure. when people say, well, you know, I think if you... My philosophy is this. If you can create a service where people... Um, actually like coming to mm. and they say I want to bring my friend and I want to help make this happen I think anyone can create that environment I think if you can work at creating a sticky community of people who um, feel like I'm I'm in relationship with people and I like and it's benefiting me and I like these people you know just mm. healthy authentic Christian community and and give give people something to say. Come on, we're going to have a go at doing something that makes a difference. Mm. That they're the basically the three things that I f- focus yeah. on. There's been a lot in in the media about some uh, young A-list American celebrities who have flocked to Hillsong, particularly in the states. You know, Justin doesn't get much bigger than Justin Bieber, does it? Selena Gomez, people like that. What is it about Hillsong that seems to have attracted A-list stars in a way that other denominations arguably have not? Uh, I think Instagram says that it's only us that's doing it. Um, and I mean that because there are there are many churches in the US where you'd have what you'd term as A-list people who right. go to their churches. So is this, an American, a, is this an American thing more than it is a Hillsong thing? Um, well, I... I it's hard. It's, that's a hard question to go. Here's a here's a clear answer, but but just to say that there's you know we attract a list people. Uh, you know there's there's some. I'm a pretty average person, and there's lots of people like me in our church. Um, and I think the fact that a guy like um, like Justin 
has got maybe a profile that he's got. Um, um, like Selena, they, they, they've got a profile that hmm. says that, but there are many, I know many other pastors of significant churches in the US who have some very significant people in their churches. They're just not, um, those people aren't. Those people aren't Instagramming the services. Or, and that type of thing, yeah. yeah. So, to, so to put us and say oh, Hillsong, Hillsong's doing that, right? Okay. Um, I Fair think enough. that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a spot that everybody's giving us that I'm not sure yeah. um, that we have. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. And right of ownership of okay. that we're the only ones. Sure, if that I, makes sense. I completely take that. At the, at the same time, you know, I think it is it's fairly clear that for those well-known people who do go to your church. You know, from from talking to people who are involved in these things, they say, well, actually, there is a quite an interesting culture in Hillsong where you really will kind of go out your way to to welcome those who are who are well known, cordoned off areas of the church. You know, maybe at conferences, having someone to sort of accompany them, and maybe even foot in the bill if they they come to a big Hillsong event. So you like to look after people who oh, are. I don't well know known. if that happens. <laughs> that doesn't happen at anything we do. Um, we don't cordon cordon people off and. Um we certainly don't pay for them, pay for them to be here. I think they've got enough money if they want to be here to pay for themselves. Um, I think that's how it works. Certainly, I'm not only speaking from my perspective, sure. but but I think they are people's perceptions that are um, unreal. And when you say well, you have someone to look after them, that is, that's just being hospitable mm. to people who are used to having people looking after them. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people. You know, if you if you take I don't know, you take any call it a list celebrity, they're not that used to walking through the front door of something. They're always their whole career is ushered through the back door. Mm. Their whole lives are being flocked by people who have suddenly become fans. So to protect their ability to have, I want to be able to come to church. Yeah, it's a privacy um, thing for them, isn't it? Well, it's a privacy thing, and um, just allowing them to. As best to be themselves. That that would be the yeah. the you know if I use the term the the minder criticism and the the cordoned off area. You know if you go to the U.S. Um, you know we're different here in the U.S. in in the U.K. in the sense of um, the U.S. seem seem to have a high percentage of crazy people who um, just love to um, carry everything from carry guns to feel like they have the right to go and punch out a pastor and things like that. That doesn't really exist here in the UK. And so, so I, knowing, knowing a lot of my colleagues, they, you know, the, the criticisms that they have security, it's because they need security. Sure. Yeah. And, and so it's not, a, it's not a, a high and mighty, aren't no. you wonderful, you're special. It's like, no, they have, they have people walk into churches with guns and shoot people. We don't have that, mm. so we don't need security. But yeah. and so sometimes I think it's a, I think it's a misguided criticism that um, comes about people like this. It's it's funny, you know. Many people who sit in that chair and and do these interviews with me will, uh, um, you know, be ver- very well aware often of of some of the statistics in the UK about church decline. And often the picture is uh, is pretty depressing for people if you believe the statistics that are coming out about the UK becoming increasingly secular less and less people we know are, are going to church and then of course someone like myself walks into the O2 in the summer and there's 20,000 plus Christian leaders from all over Europe at the Hillsong European Leaders Conference and it 
definitely does something to your spirit and there's an optimism that comes you think wow the church is not dead in europe no, yeah. and it seems to me that hillsong is quite good at those big events that can be very very inspiring for people to see wow the church is still alive and well yeah well you know often you know as again i've colleagues who will who try and tell me that the church is dead in the uk and you know all the others are taking over and all this sort of stuff and it's all very alarmist because they're not in touch with what's happening and I personally believe there are some fantastic things that God is doing across the UK, across mm. across um, Europe, and even you know when you say at you, the, the conference, um, probably the my you know lots of people come to you and say all sorts of things in an environment like that, and you know well done, thank you, and you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you go and one one young pastor sent me a text and just said. Um, Thank you for creating an environment that I can come into and dream in. Mm. And I thought, it's worth it. It's, it's worth if, um, if we can do something that shows everybody who is out there, and we use the term slogging away, feeling like, am I really making a difference? Am I, aren't I, who can walk into an environment that we can create where they can say, you know, I can dream big here. Mm. I can, I'm not just slogging it away. I can dream and... I think the church in this part of the world is mm. is in a great place. Yeah, uh, when I've uh, visited Hillsong on a number of occasions, which I've really enjoyed doing, I've often looked around the room, and this is admittedly in the, in the Dominion, and it may be different elsewhere, but um, often it seems like almost everyone is in their twenties or their thirties. Is often quite a young kind of vibe, and and sometimes you kind of wonder, oh, I wonder what happens when you grow up in Hillsong in your twenties and thirties, and you kind of hit forty or you hit fifty. Now. I'm sure for many young people in London, when they grow up, they have families, they move out of London because it's expensive to live here. So that will partly explain that. But, but from your perspective as well, for those... I think it all depends where you sit at the minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was down there in the, yes, uh, yeah, with, yeah, with the youngsters yeah, at the front. Uh, yeah. um, is, so is that, is, that not, is that not true? Because again, I think some people have the perception of, oh, there's a lot of young people in Hillsong and it, it tends to... And this isn't a criticism, I think, because we know the church in the UK often struggles to attract young people. But, but is there any truth in the idea that Hillsong in the UK does bring in a younger demographic in a way other uh, congregations or, or church networks struggle? Um, you know, I, for me, I, I can't say because I'm, I don't study other other people you literally must be, you must be no, aware but, though that the church in no i'm general aware that's the... what people say but i don't i don't sit there and study and go oh look at this they've um there are a lot of young people but i can remember when i moved to london i i i did what rick warren said you know create your saddleback sam who lives in london so i did a study of who lives in london and it turned way back then and that's right, okay. way back then and it was the average person who lives in london is aged between this age bracket and this age bracket. This is talking about central London. So I did my studies and, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna build a church and that that person is my focus because that's who statistics say lives in London. Um, so so th- there's been an intentionality about about that. Then you know we you go out to Surrey and you've got a lot of people who are in Surrey have been in our church as long as I have. Mm. They just go to Surrey. They go to Guildford now, not the Dominion. So mm-hmm. there is a moving out of we're going to get married. It's easier. Yeah. So that's part of our reason. Why yeah. do we do Kent? Why do we do why the M25 home counties is so that people in our church can still be part of our church and live there. But, you know, I, when it uh, comes to, you know, young people in, in church, 
I think you know if you if you're mindful of young people, there'll be young people in church. I think you. Right. Um, it doesn't mean you have to intentionally. It's not intentionally targeting. But I realise I'm 58, and so therefore what I think is cool, relevant, all of those words, they're not really my words to define. I'm 58. So if I'm going to be big enough, I've got to be big enough to let young people define for me those words. Now, whether cool and relevant and all of that, they're they're just words, but we know what they mean when they say that. I just see myself, it's not my job to define those words. Mm. And so I'm not going to put a cap over the young people in our church because I don't think. Um, it's like people say, well, you know, they say, well, Gary likes this type of music. And I was like, how do you know what sort of music I like? <laughs> you know, I say to people, you know, I like, I used to like ACDC. Probably, <laughs> I still probably do. Yeah. So to go, we're playing songs that Gary likes. I'm 58. How can I like those songs? Do I appreciate them? Do I enjoy them? I'm youthful. We, we got a thing in Hillsong about let's be youthful in spirit. Yeah, but isn't my 100% preference? At my age as a leader, it, that's, if I bring that into my thinking, mm. this is my preference, mm. this is my like, yeah. this is what I uh, see as contemporary, relevant, without yeah. listening to young people, I'm yeah. going to end up with a church with no young people in so, it. So next time there's someone who's a little bit older, and you can define older how you want, who says, oh, I'm going to leave my church because I don't like the music, we can tell them, hey, the leader of... Hillsong doesn't necessarily like the Hillsong music, oh, no, but he's, not he's still I, that's there. That's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but but I but I do think you know. But you're, you are making a point here about you know. Th- okay, there's more. You, there's more to life I'll than just you whether my, you like the musical style or not, right? Yeah, I mean, worship is. is much more important than what preference well, you example, have for music. I'll give, you know? When often people go volume, right? Volume yeah. and whatever, right? I you know whether I'm allowed to admit these things or not. But I went to I went to a Rolling Stones concert at Twickenham. And I was stunned at how many people, at how old the, how old the crowd were, right? Because mm. if you're going to Rolling Stones fan, you've got to be old. Yeah, right? let's face it. But how old they were, but the Rolling Stones were still the Rolling Stones. They were still it was still horrendously loud. Yeah, and it was production values were off the charts. It still sets the the bar on what a, a stadium event looks like. They're all in their 70s and all the people in the crowd were not were about my age and they're all singing and they're all shouting and not one had earplugs in. <laughs> and so I sat there and I thought, you know, volume is not an age thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an internal thing mm. because not one of those old people in Twickenham were complaining about the volume of... Um, and so I sort of look at it from that perspective and it, it was an eye-opener for me. Yeah. I just went, you know, maybe there's more to the complaining... Mm that old people have about contemporary and it's more about them and something they've got to learn to um, get out get out of themselves and and progress because if if they you know if if I was to say these people my age are more consumed with what's suiting them and they've lost sight of we are supposed to bring through there is an emerging generation coming through People of my age get a chance to bring that emerging generation through. We get a chance to empower it. We get a chance to champion it. We get a chance to encourage it. We get a chance to to lead it or we get a chance to not participate in it. And either way, God is always going to bring through another generation. And I think older people, um, they can decide to move out and watch what God does or they can make a decision to step in and say, I'm going to be a part of what God's trying to do. And I'm not talking about older people in our church. I just think as a as a generation of people, our job is to steward the next generation coming through. 
Oh, sorry, I just started preaching. And that made me think of another thing, perhaps about your role. Am I right in thinking your role has, has in the, the history of kind of Hillsong London, has perhaps transitioned a little bit from you being involved in the hands-on day-to-day of everything to, to mentoring the younger leaders and bringing through younger pastors? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I'm at that, I, that point in life where they say everybody, there's a transition period. And um, I'm probably on the other side of the transition period from um, what am I trying to do to who am I helping do something. And so I'd very much see my, my role as um, how am I empowering mm. the, uh, the next generation of leaders. And they're not next generation. They are this generation um, that um, are rising up. Um, and it's always been one of my motivators. I just like seeing young people get hold of the things of God and run mm-hmm. for it. So that's that's how I'd see yeah. my role. You're, you're talking a moment ago about how you have a, a, a kind of culture in, in Hillsong and you want to foster that that kind of courage of, of creativity and bringing young people through. And I, I noticed as well from, from my experiences with Hillsong, I, I think the term is culture of honour, where you like to really honour your leaders. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine who went to, um, I think it was the, the Hillsong European Conference, the O2 that we mentioned, and he was remarking on how, how every person who came on stage made a point of stopping and thanking the founding pastors, Brian and Bobby, for, for their service. And, and I think part of him was really amazed at that in a good way, that th- this is really honouring your leaders. I think part of him also felt slightly concerned, you know, what if you're not a Christian in the room? Does this, dare I say it, look even a bit cultish? Like, What's the kind of obsession with with the leaders I, can you help people understand that for those who go to churches where there isn't a culture of honor and maybe there's a bad culture maybe there's a culture of sniping about the leader but where is the balance between honoring people and and is there anything in in can that can that go too far no, you know i i understand what this person would have said i i i, I understand it i think um you know there's probably two parts to the question if i get it right i think in that environment I think we've got to understand we're in a we're an intensely Christian environment, so we're in our bubble big time. <laughs> and and I do think there is inside the bubble speak. Yeah. And I think that's what I meant before about if we're not careful, we we don't know how to speak outside the bubble, right? Um, so I do get a person would ask that question, "What if?" But we've got to understand the environment we're in right. is... It wasn't for those who aren't Christians, that's yeah. yeah. In Well, the goal is, is, yes, it is, but we tend to forget that in right. that type okay. of environment, yes. <laughs> right? Um, it's in our mind, but it's not, the, it's sure. not the, at the forefront. But the, the honouring, uh, it is, you know, it's one, it's one of those things that, that we would see as important. But at the same time, I think it's like anything. The moment, and once again, it comes that the spirit is that the person spirit of the person um i think the danger is is when we elevate people above uh, above christ we're in trouble mm. and we we live in an age today where people love to follow personality mm. um pretty much most of the world western world is governed by some form of person personality of mm. cult yeah and so or cult of personality yeah. the right term yeah, and sure. so so there is this 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 balance but but i think is it's only it's only when the, the, the desire is insincere mm. that you're going, oh, this is weird. This, mm. Is this wrong? But, but when it's real, to honor somebody is, is a positive thing. And I think one of the, the challenges, I think, for, you know, in the UK church from what I'm aware of, um, I just think the, I think people are afraid, afraid of, they're scared of, um, probably the same word, but um, 
of of honoring their their pastors. Um, mm. The average church person, I don't think, understands what a pastor lives with, mm. and the the expectations and the um, you know what's what what are we having for lunch today? Well, the pastor, and we'll sit around as a family and just pull it apart and. You know, that type of environment's mm. not good, not for not only for the church, but for people. And when people sit around and just all they do is talk about what's wrong with the pastor. Yeah. And they do so, it in front of their kids and then they wonder why their kids have trouble at school and trouble at work because we're teaching. It's like this culture of sedition. It's always so much easier to criticize. Yeah, because positive to, uh, people don't say much. Yeah, it's like what is, I was reading some, something just in the news just recently. It was like Ofcom complaints about something. 25 people complain, so now they are, now they're doing something. 25. 25. Out of I'm the millions there, of people watching I'm thinking, 25 yeah. complained and yeah. you're launching an investigation. It's like this culture of, yeah. uh, of, of opinion mm. is, is it's, it's destructive, mm. and, uh, but that's the world we live in. Sure. Now, I, I can't, you know, we're, we're fast running out of time, but I did, I did want to ask you just a couple of other things about the distinctions of Hillsong for those who, who are Christians but uh, perhaps have, have been to Hillsong and have seen things, they think, oh, that's, that's a bit different. And one of them for a lot of people is how in every Hillsong service there'll be a, a normally quite a short talk, but there will be a talk every week on, on money, on giving, on finance. Can you explain where that comes from? Because somebody said to me, this isn't actually a Hillsong thing, this is an Australian Pentecostal thing. Um, and yeah, it'd just be interesting because you know, for the average the average person who goes to church, they might hear a sermon on giving every now and then, but it wouldn't normally be every week. Yeah, well, I think probably the contrast with us is is you wouldn't hear a sermon on giving every now and again. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, so you just stick it in a little bit well, every I've, week. I haven't done one. I haven't done one other. message on tithing <laughs> in uh, in nineteen years, to my shame, probably. <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter if you're doing it every week because. Yeah, well, it's more in the context. The, the heart of it is. No, you know, and once again, the heart of it versus the execution. I mean, it's easy to criticize the execution wasn't right. Yeah. Uh, the heart of it is yeah. there are people giving, yeah. and you want to encourage them because it's not just their giving. There, there's, a, there's, there's the promise of God attached to our giving and all of that. And you want to be you're encouraging people in their giving and their faith in seeing God at work mm. in their own finances. So the heart of it is, yes, it's... Um, it's it's what's the Bible talk about money because you know you got to re- realize that the thing most people think about the most is money, mm. and if you can't talk about it in church, then well, we're not talking about the thing that matters that people think about the most apart from themselves. They think about <laughs> themselves first and then money next. Sometimes the two vie for position. Do you get what I'm trying to say? To talk about money is once again. It's like this taboo subject, yet yeah. it's the thing we're concerned about most in life for I most guess, people. I wonder if it's slightly taboo, again, because of the culture in, in the UK, as opposed to maybe other parts of the world. I often find British people, we, we're quite, we get quite nervous talking about money. We don't, we don't like to go there. Yeah, well, I think so. But, but should cultural things mm. hold back the church? Uh, we, we've got a term that we don't say it that much anymore, but we're, we... We try as best we can to say, hey, we're trying to build a kingdom culture within our church. What are the what are the the kingdom of God things that are the most important things, and not give into um, what what culture says? Because sure. because let's face it, you know, why don't people talk about money? If you study it historically, it's because people with money told people without money, you don't talk about money. Now, there's a reason for that. 
because that's why you keep your money and you keep those without money without money. So if you go back, you only got to go back three or four centuries and that was entrenched in English culture. So what do we do? Do we say that's right? Well, if we go, well, English people don't like talking about money. Think about why you were taught not to talk about money. And, uh, but we don't, we don't question our culture. We question the first thing that confronts it. We talked about, you know, the, the pressures on, on church leaders, you know, I'm sure you're, you're, yourself included, where we've talked about criticism and, and, and all of that sort of stuff that, that many churches will have to deal with. I wonder if there, there is a particular sense of responsibility as well that comes when we're talking about things like finance. I mean, you know, it's no secret that, that your church, it's, we're literally talking about millions of pounds when it comes to a budget. There must be a huge weight of responsibility on you to think that's, that's a huge amount of money to steward correctly. Does, oh, that, does that weigh on you? Um, well, it does. It, it probably weighs on me that much that I, I, you know, my prayer usually every night is God give me wisdom and understanding to be able to do what I'm doing. That's that's my good night to God every night. I pray that that prayer. Um, and there is, there is a, you know, there, there's a weight of responsibility. There's a weight of understanding that, um, that it's two things. It's number one, it's God's money. Um, and that's probably, I think, when you see it as God's money first. People give to God, they don't give to you. So therefore, if it's God's money, I'm a little bit more scared of God than I am of people. And so you're stewarding God's money, and yes, you know it's coming from people. And I, and I just try and keep, for myself, I try and keep it in the right order. This is not people's money. It's their giving to God, and our responsibility is to steward God's money. And if I view it as him looking over our shoulders, probably a little bit more um, nerve-wracking than... <laughs> Do you get what I'm trying to say? And I think it's just put it in the right order. But you've got to also understand that the people are giving and they're trusting God. And, um, and you've got to steward their giving as best you possibly can. Mm. Finally then, uh, what does the average week look like for you? <laughs> is there an average week um well if i haven't if i haven't got to be somewhere else in the what i use in our hillsong in my responsibilities i've got two responsibilities one is inside hillsong london and the other is as within hillsong church um my average week i would get up on um on monday and um gather my gather my thoughts do some form of exercise sometime during the day. Then I have, I have my Monday afternoon meetings. I get up on Tuesday morning, gather my thoughts, <laughs> have my Tuesday meetings. <laughs> get up on Wednesday morning, I gather my thoughts, uh, do my Wednesday meetings. Uh, so it sounds like on, a lot of meetings. Well, it it is. You've got you've got to. Um, there's just a lot of things you've got to be a part do you, of. Do you enjoy that side of the job though? Well, yeah, I do because it's because we're meeting about how we're advancing the purposes of God. Mm. But meetings, or you know, for some people that sounds like death. But you clearly thrive in that kind of an environment. Well, you can. Well, if you if you don't like meetings, you don't like leading. Um, and so you can only get you, the only way people can get clarity, the only way way people where you can get people all on the same page working together is through meetings. And so. Um, so meetings are our best friend. They're not, a, they're not an enemy. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Gary, we wish you all the very best for your many meetings, both in the week and, of course, on Sundays <laughs> as well. But thank you so much for coming in and chatting. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.
Thanks so much for joining us on the Profile podcast this afternoon to hear my interview with Gary Clark from Hillsong London. If you enjoyed that, and I hope you did, then you might be interested in the brand new edition of Premier Christianity magazine. Our cover story this month is all about Hillsong, how they've gone from a church of just 110 people, Gary was saying in that interview when he turned up, 110 people in Hillsong London, to now attracting 14,000 people every single week to Hillsong services in the UK. It's a really quite a remarkable story of church growth, and we've detailed it in the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine. If you'd like to request a free sample copy, just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. If you type your details in, we will send you a free copy of the magazine. Um, If you'd like not only uh, one copy of the magazine, but if you'd like to subscribe for a whole year, that means you get a new edition of the magazine through your letterbox every single month, then we have got a very special half price offer still on. If you go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe, I would highly recommend taking out our special half price offer because you will be sent that Hillsong copy of the magazine as part of that offer if you subscribe. Now, um, additional benefits include full access to our website, including our over 10 year archive now so you can read past issues of the magazine and we'll even enter you into our prize draw to win 200 pounds worth of new christian books it's a great offer that link one more time is premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe just before we go wanted to um, really ask for your help in getting the word out about this podcast if you're enjoying what you're hearing every week here on the profile we'd really appreciate it if you just take a minute to rate and review us and share this podcast or share a particular episode with someone else who you think might enjoy it all the details are at premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile it's the best place to send people if you want to encourage them to check out this podcast Great to have Gary Clark, pastor of Hillsong London, on the show today. My thanks to him and my thanks to you for listening in to the show today. We'll see you next time.